coming up on this week's podcast. It's not me looking from the outside in, it's me there. And John is seeing me and a multitude of other people from all sorts of other languages and tribes. And I thought, wow, I'm like seeing me in the future, and this is cool. And I, and I think to myself, well, why am I so excited about this? And I'm so excited about this because I've been preparing and practicing for this moment my whole entire life or at least my life as a believer. Stay tuned for more. Welcome to another New Hope Chapel podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a vibrant church committed to biblically-based teaching, often focusing on discovering the Jewish roots of the faith. You can find out more about our church at newhopechapel.org. Now, here's Justin Hibbard with today's message. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 12, starting verse 1. It is a pleasure to be here, and uh, I don't know if you noticed the new parking lot. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) So thank you, uh, Bruce and Gary, for arranging that. I'll tell you... um, I think there's new doors coming in eventually. It's, 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 it's like a whole new church. And, and uh, Carrie was saying that we should have some roller skating things going on out there. I think we some, some street hockey would be fun. I haven't done that since I was a little kid. But that would be good. And, uh, you know, it's funny. The one thing that I know Steve is, he's, for the past, I don't know, four or five months, You've been saying to the leadership team, we need to get a new sign, we need to get a sign, we need to get a new sign. Well, God answered Steve's prayer by blowing down the sign that was up there. <laughs> so those of you who need prayer, go see Steve, he's hot. <laughs> Let's turn uh, to the Lord this morning before we begin. God, we thank you for all you are. We worship you today, we don't worship ourselves, we're not here for, for us, we're here for you. We're here to give you glory and honor and to spend time with each other and fellowship with each other and encourage each other. Lord, I pray that these words would be your words. And anything that I say that's distracting and not of you, Lord, I pray that you would erase those from our minds. And Lord, help us to grow in our walks with you. Thank you for being there with us every step of the way. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are in our series on living sacrifice, which is taken from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. This is a six-week series that we're doing. This is week three. And we've kind of split it up between talking about worship and talking about the gifts. So, uh, but this morning, I'd like to talk about what it means to be of corporate worship. Before I do that, I want to remind you that we do have the daily devotionals on being a living sacrifice. If you haven't had the opportunity to get those in your email, you can send me an email, justin at newhopechapel.org, and I'm happy to add you to our mailing list if you'd like. These are also available on our um, website as well as through iTunes. And, you know, for me, it's just such a blessing. I think, I think uh, I'm, it's, it's a lot more work than I bargained for, but... Um, but at the same time, like, there's something about teaching God's Word, and I think I speak for everyone that speaks from up here, is that when you teach the Word of the Lord, you get so much more out of it. It's, it's just amazing how like, breaking down verse by verse and just meditating on Scripture and asking the Lord to speak to you every day, it, it, it becomes awesome. It becomes more for me than I think for anyone else. So I, I've really appreciated the time, and the Lord has been speaking to me, and I hope that um, you've gained from it as well. 
But we will continue our series on being a living sacrifice for the next few weeks. But this morning, talking about corporate worship, before we do that, I want to look back at where we've been. If you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about Romans 12.1, which says, Therefore, brothers, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And as I mentioned earlier, we took those words and broke them down till we came up with this understanding of worship, which is not nearly as good as Paul's, but it kind of helps us to get a a perspective of what it means to be a worshiper. We said worship is a voluntary activity in response to God's goodness, predetermined to glorify God. It is a personal expression of gratitude at any time, at any day, that is pleasing to the Lord. And we're asking ourselves, well, what does it mean to be someone who worships all the time, to be that 24-7 worshiper? Well, we take those words and we come up with this. A 24-7 worshiper is one who, through discipline and grace, motivated by God's goodness, voluntarily predetermines every activity at every time to be a personal expression of gratitude aimed at pleasing and glorifying the Lord. If you got, didn't get a chance to hear Carl's sermon last week, it was fantastic. And he looked at Romans 12.2. In Romans 12.2 it says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. And, and, and Carl looked at uh, what does it mean to follow the Lord? What does it mean to be that worshiper? We looked at the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. And the, really the bottom line of it is the beginning of point of worship is obedience. Sometimes we make worship out to be expressions about emotions, about music, but really it comes down to being obedient to the, to the Lord. And, and if we want to hear the will of God, that's where we've got to begin is simply obedience. Well, today, I think we would be remiss if we, if we spoke about worship but didn't speak about a big part of what we do together, and that is corporate worship. So I want to share with you some stories. And, but before I do that, let's take a look at uh, Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 3. Paul says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But rather, think of yourself with sober, sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, serving let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Sorry, I forgot to turn the page. (laughs) Um, So Paul is talking about a couple of things here in Romans chapter 12. First of all, he's talking about our personal responsibility in the invisible church. All of us who are believers are members of an invisible church, whether we realize it, whether we like it or not. That's the way it is. We are all brought together by the blood of Christ. So therefore, it doesn't matter what church you belong to, whether New Hope Chapel, whether New Covenant, whether Agnes Dei, you're all part of this invisible church. But Paul also talks about the responsibility to be part of the visible church. And that's what he talks about in Romans 12, 3 through 8. 
He's saying, okay, well, you're part of this invisible church. It's important for you to live your life as a worshiper, to be devoted to God, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's a personal responsibility. But at the same time, you are part of a visible church. Now, there's a lot of people, and I've heard it said a lot of times, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. That's true. And there's a lot of people that are believers that are not part of the visible church, but are part of the invisible church. But at the same time, there are a lot of people in the visible church that are not part of the invisible church. And Paul is saying, you have to be in both. He wants to encourage us to be in both. Not to be in one, not to be in the other, but to be part of both the visible and the invisible church. Well, why is that important? In Hebrews 10, verse 23, we read these words. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I want to share with you a story from from my experience about the importance of what it means to be part of the visible church. Those of you who know me know I went to a Christian school my entire life. I, my parents uh, were, I was fortunate enough that my parents were able to, to put me through a Christian school. And so elementary, middle, high school, went on to Houghton College in western New York. And it was a great experience. And then my sophomore year of college, I decided that I would do something that I've never done before and go to a secular university. So I decided to enroll in Harvard University at their um, Summer Writing Institute. I know it sounds prestigious, but it really wasn't. And because and I thought, you know, it'd be good for my resume. It'd be good practice for what, I'm, you know, for what I want to do in my major's writing. And I really want to spend time. And, and I mean, it's Harvard. It can't be, it's got to be the best, right? Well, I was shocked. It was like somebody flew me out of my bubble of Christendom and dropped me off at the gates of Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> the first night, being bombarded and surrounded by alcohol and the drugs and the sex. And this stuff I was never used to, never exposed to. I didn't know what pot even looked like. And they were like, oh yeah, that guy's as high as a kite. And, and I'm like, where am I? What is this? And what scares me is to think of this as our most prestigious university in the whole country, if not the whole world. We are in big trouble. And so here I am. I'm, I'm at Harvard University, and, and I'm so used to being surrounded by Christians. Now, not everyone that was in my classes were Christians, but I, probably 90% of them, on some scale or another, were believers. And so we were able to, to share and to talk, and teachers were able to encourage, and we could engage in conversations. And I never had to worry about bringing up my faith, because my, my professors would bring it up as well, and, and those who disagreed, they would be quiet because they would be lynched, and it was, you know, that's the way it was, you know? <laughs> It was a really safe place to be, and all of a sudden I found that I'm sitting in a class where my professor's like, where I, 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 I wanted to write about something that had some Christian overtones to it, and my professor kept using the word myth, 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 the whole time as he's critiquing my paper in front of the class. And then, you know, he, he criticized people for not putting more drug use and sex in their, in their stories. And I'm like, where, where am I? What is this? And I'll never forget that week, that first week, because it was the most loneliest week of my life. 
here I was, you know, I, I was looking, I was like Abraham saying to God, if there are ten, ten people here, <laughs> I was like, if there's one person here, God, please bring him to my dorm room, because I, I, I need that fellowship, I need to stand firm. And it's so hard, because you realize that you're called to something, and the world just doesn't understand. They, don't, they just don't care. They're out for themselves, they're going to do whatever pleases them, and, and it's, it's draining. It was tiring. It was exhausting. So by the end of the week, I said, you know what? I said, I, I'm exhausted. And I need to find some believers. I looked everywhere. I, I looked for all the signs that you could look for. WWJD bracelets, that necklace with the cross on it. Someone had to be wearing a t-shirt that had some church name on it or anything. I didn't find anything. And because it's the summertime, it's, you know, inner varsities, clo- you know, not, not meeting or uh, campus fellowship or anything like that is not going on. I guess I, I could have just gone into the cafeteria and stood up and said, is anyone here a believer? You know, <laughs> But I didn't do that. So I decided to go to church. And I've never been church shopping before, so this was a new experience for me. And so I, I, I think I saw a sign for Park Street Church, probably because it's the most famous church in New England. So I decided I'll go to Park Street Church there in downtown Boston. So I hop on the tee on Sunday evening for their evening service and I take it over there to the, you know, get off on the, at the train stop and get out of the Freedom, right on the Freedom Trail, there's Park Street Church. It's a very famous, a very old church. And I didn't know this at the time, but Gary, which I have to preface now by saying our former pastor, for those of you who are new here, Gary and Mary Lou were supported by Park Street Church as missionaries while they were working for Chosen People uh, Fellowship. I did not know that at the time. That's, it's pretty ironic. So they spent a lot of time there in Boston at Park Street Church. So I walk up the stairs, and I enter the doors, and it was like I was home. I've never been to that church before in my life. I didn't know anyone in that church. But the feeling, the knowing that these people are here for the same reason, that's to worship the Lord, that we share the same Father, you realize that you're home. And it was like this burden was taken off of me. And even though I didn't get to engage much with the people there, I was like, this is great. This is what I needed. This was refreshing to my soul. There was someone that, was got, that got baptized. We sang some, some worship songs and hymns. And it was like, this is, this is a refuge for me. I got out of the, the church service, and I think I, I left my name there with someone saying, hey, if there's a Bible study, I'd love to be involved with it. I get back on the tee and think, oh, I'm just going back to Sodom and Gomorrah. And I said, it's going to be so hard. It's going to be so depressing. And there was a girl sitting across from me. She was reading a, a pamphlet from the church. And so I said, hey, I see that you're reading this pamphlet. And I, you know, I just kind of gave her my spiel. I said, I'm new in the area, never been here before. I'm, lo- you know, I'm looking for fellowship with other believers. I said, would you like to get together? Now that I think about it, it was a great pickup line. <laughs> but, but I really wasn't interested in that at all. And so, and so, but it was great because during that, that summer term, those eight weeks, I was able to spend some time, at least with her and, and some others that, that came into contact with, because that was probably the most refreshing moments. And I realized that Paul tells us to do some very hard things, to not be conformed to the likeness of this world, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that's tough. That's tough. And the world does not understand that. And so this world should be a very lonely place for us. If we are living up to Paul's words here, if we are living to the instruction that God is giving us to be 
transformed, be different, be changed, be infused with the Holy Spirit, this world has nothing for us. We're citizens here, we live here, but our citizenship, our real citizenship, is in another realm. That's tough. So let me encourage you that if you are living your life for Christ, the evidence should be automatic. People should notice the difference in your life. It may be subtle things, the way you do your job, the way you talk, the language that you don't use, and the language that you do, do use, the, the way that you go about your life, the way that you raise your family. All of these things should make a difference in your life. And people should notice that change. They should notice that difference. But at the same time, you should feel this sense of, man, I, I feel lonely here. I don't belong here. And if that's the case, then where do we belong? Well, the Lord has saw fit for us not to be alone. And that's a wonderful thing, that we don't have to go through this alone, that, that at the same time that I'm struggling with living in this world and not being of this world, the same time you are struggling with living in this world and not being of this world. And so where's the best place for us to be? Right here together, where we can encourage each other, where we can spend time together, where we can have this time of refuge from this world. That is, that is so important for us to have because it's draining. So I was, uh, a couple weeks ago, I heard a, a very interesting statistic. I heard that from the age of kindergarten to the age of 18, uh, 12th grade, so we're talking like 13 years or so, a child will spend 9 to 12% of their time at school. I was shocked. I thought it would be like 30, 40, maybe 50% of their time is at school. It's only like 12% of their time is at school. And so I began thinking to myself and racking my brain. I said, oh, if, if kids are spending eight hours a day in school, and that's only 12% of their life, just in the, that 13 years, how much time are we spending together as a church body? And so I, I did the brave thing and started doing some math. Fortunately, I had a calculator. And uh, so... Let's take a look at, at, at these discoveries. Let's say that you live 78 years. Now, some of you here are tipping the scale upwards, which is good. Good for you. 78 years. And um, that comes out to 28,470 days or 683,280 hours. Okay? Start counting down days as you, <laughs> when you get to that point. So how much time do we actually spend at church? Well, I thought about it. Let's say that we're really good. Let's say you're really good, you're really committed, and you're here 48 Sundays out of the, out of the year, out of 52. That's not bad. That's, you miss four. There's snow days. There's always the threat of snow days. And <laughs> that sometimes closed church. And there's vacations and things like that that happen, and always sick days and everything like that. Now, let's say, let's say that you're, you're really good. And you don't just come for... For 11 to 12, 15, let's say that you come from 10 for Sunday school, and you're here at 11, 11 for worship, and then you're here, uh, at, and you stay, stick around and chat with people till 1 o'clock. So you're here for three hours. Carlene said, Justin, we're the only ones that do that. I said, I don't think so. I think there's others that do that. So that equals 144 hours a year. You think about how many hours are in a year. 144 hours a year that you do that. Now let's say you've been to church Every year, you've gone to church. So we're talking about, 
you grew up in the church and everything. So 78 years of spending time in the church, that's 11,232 hours of your life, which is 1.6% of your life. Pretty crazy, huh? Now, let's say that you, you don't, you, you just kind of slip in here, you know, as the worship is ending or the praise is ending and uh, you're here for the sermon. Amen is said and you're out the door. Maybe you're here for just an hour and that's what you do for 78 years. Cut that into a third. Point, what is that? 0.5% of your life. And let's say, let's say that you're, uh, you don't go to church your whole life. Maybe you became a believer at age 30 or something like that. And so you, do, you spend 48 years in the church. Well, cut that time in whatever that is, a half again. What is that, 0.25% of your life? And I thought, wow, that's not a lot of time at all. And then I thought about, well, what about our work life? How much time do we spend at work? Let's say you spend 240 weekdays of your life at work. Some of you, a lot more. Not generally a lot less. And let's say you spend eight hours a day. You're like me. When 3.30 hits, I'm done, and I leave. Some of you, that's not the case, I know. And let's say, so that equals 1,920 hours per year. You can already see the difference between a year of work and a year of going to church. And let's say you do this from the age of 22 to the age of 65. Is that the new retirement age? Is that 65? Does it even matter? It's going to be like 80 when I'm, <laughs> at least. I'll, I'll say retirement. They'll be like, whatever. You know? What does that mean? So 43 years. That equals 82,560 hours of your life. And that's only in 43 years, which is 12% of your life. In any given year, then, if we take those numbers, in any given year, that means that you spend 1.6% of your year at church and 22% of your year at work. So my question is this. is not, you know, how much time you spend at church. My question is this. Who are the people having the greatest influence on your life, and who are you influencing yourself? That's the question that has to be raised. Because if we're, if we're, if we're in an environment, 22% of our year, that is, that is pagan, that is... Uh, filled with filthy language and filthy talk and not encouraging, well, that's going to have a big influence on our life as opposed to the 1.6% of our life that we spend with each other. Now, maybe you go to Bible study, and that's another couple of hours and maybe another few hours. Well, that number is now 3%. But I want us to think not in terms of church activities, because I know there's a lot of churches that just have activities and activities and activities. It's like every day there's another church activity. And I know in some churches, that's the expectation that you go to all those activities and you have no kind of social life for yourself or no time with your family. And that's not what I think our goal should be. It was funny, last night or yesterday afternoon, Don Cruz gave me a call and he said, Justin, what are you doing tonight? And I said, well, I'm preaching tomorrow, so usually I'm cramming and working on my sermon and he said, well, a bunch of us guys uh, wanted to get together and hang out. He said, are you interested? And I had to stop and think for a moment. I'm like, sermon preparation? And I was like, Don, i got to be honest with you. I said, I'm preaching tomorrow about the importance of fellowship. I, <laughs> I think it would be kind of hypocritical for me to say no. <laughs> 
And I'm so glad that I did. And I'm so glad that, I, that guys came over and we got to hang out for a little bit. Uh, because that's, that's where it's at. Here are these guys that are encouraging me just by being there with me and, um, and hanging out with me. And, and suddenly that number goes up. Because now it's, you know, it didn't, it didn't seem like a church activity, but we're fellowshipping with other believers. And we do that another few hours of our day. Suddenly we're, we're, we're a much higher percentage. I think that's so key. I had a chance, as you, many of you know, to go to um, California to visit with Gary and work with Beth Ariel on their kind of web presence and things like that. And Gary and I spent a lot of time talking about fellowship. Because what he's discovered out there is that when people go out to eat for dinner or something like that, they generally drive and they say, they give someone a call and say, hey, I'm coming to a restaurant in your area. Would you like to get together? And he's like, that's just not something we typically do on the East Coast. And I thought about it and I and I was wondering why, why fellowship might be so important to them. It was interesting, too. Like, he was preaching, and he was going on for, like, 45 minutes. And afterwards, he, he said, guys, I'm sorry for preaching this long. They were all like, whatever, Gary. It was great. It was awesome. And then when the elder came up and said, we'll be continuing our Bible study on, um, on life of Messiah this week. And the whole crowd erupted in cheering. And I was like, wow, you know, th- these are people that really love to get together. And I thought about it, and I realized something. You know, they, a lot of them, are messianic believers. So for them, you know, we don't understand this, but for them, when they become a believer in their Orthodox Jewish home, they, and they confess to their parents and say, Mom, Dad, I think I found the Messiah, and I think it's Jesus, and I'm going to live for him and follow him, that's generally asking to get kicked out of the house. And most of them do. Most of them, their parents say, like in Gary's case, they say, well, you got to your 18. If by 18 you haven't changed your mind, then see you later. And so all they have is each other. That's why Messianic congregations have kind of a culture of its own that we often don't understand. But in the same way, though many of us, we weren't estranged from our families the moment we believed in Christ, we are estranged from the world. And so in that sense, we ought to be desirous to spend time with each other, to fellowship with each other. But unfortunately, I think the idea of church that we currently have is that something we do for an hour on Sunday, and then we go home, it's kind of an obligation, a check mark, if you will. How did we get that idea? Is that what church is all about? I, I came across a very interesting church in Daytona, Florida. It's called the Drive-In Christian Church. It is crazy. You drive into a field, and you turn your radio to a certain radio station, and you listen to the priest. You can even take communion in your convertible. I mean, weird, but pretty weird anyways. (laughs) And this is church. And, I, and I'm racking my brains thinking, how is it that we, this has become our understanding of church? Because when I read Acts chapter 2, I get a very different understanding of what the purpose of the church is. Our five purposes, worship, fellowship, discipleship, ministry, evangelism. Let's take a look at that, Acts chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can look up at the screen. It says this, they devoted, they're talking about the disciples, the people, the believers, those first believers of the church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. 
And not only is the breaking of bread referring to celebrating the Lord's Supper, but also sharing meals together, which is very important in the Jewish culture, and also important for us. We have that connection we feel with people when we eat dinner with them that I think is is very special. I don't know why that's the case, but it's oftentimes a much higher level of social interaction. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So let me pose this question to you. Why is corporate worship important? And if we take a look again at Hebrews chapter 10, I think we'll understand exactly why. Because in Hebrews chapter 10, the key words here, but let us, in, let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Well, what is the writer of Hebrews telling us about the day? What is this day he's referring to? Well, I think the day is laid out for us in Revelation chapter 7. Because in Revelation chapter 7, we we read of an ultimate worship service. The worship service in heaven. This is what it says, starting in verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits upon the throne and and to the Lamb. All the, angels were, all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. As I was reading that passage and, and, and thinking about this passage this week, I started getting chills. Because I don't, know, I don't know if I've thought about this in this way before, but what John is seeing is he's seeing me, a future me, standing before or bowing before the throne of God. It's not me looking from the outside in. It's me there. And John is seeing me and a multitude of other people from all sorts of other languages and tribes. And I thought, wow. I'm like seeing me in the future, and this is cool. And I, and I think to myself, well, why am I so excited about this? And I'm so excited about this because I've been preparing and practicing for this moment my whole entire life, or at least my life as a believer. And then it hit me. The purpose of corporate worship is preparation and practice for heaven. The, cor- the purpose of cor- corporate worship is preparation and practice for heaven. You know, God did not want us to become believers and then just revert back to the way we were. Well, I mean, why not? I mean, if we're going to heaven, why, why, you know, and that's secure, we're secure in our salvation, why not just do whatever we want because we're going to get to heaven anyways? Jesus wanted us to become like him. And part of that growth of becoming like him is hard. Part of it is that it's the dying to self and, and, and refusing to be conformed to the likeness of the world, instead conforming to the likeness of his purpose. That's a hard thing. And I need to be preparing for that. There are some people that believe in the idea of purgatory because they believe 
that you can't just get to heaven. It's so perfect. How do you get from earth to heaven? They just can't comprehend that. And I don't believe with purgatory, but I think there's something to be said about the idea of becoming like Christ and preparing ourselves and practicing for heaven. And so in a sense, as we come together on Sunday mornings, as we spend time together, we are preparing each other. You are helping me become more like Christ, more like that, that person that I see in heaven bowing before the throne. And hopefully I'm be helping you become that as well, encouraging you in that. And hopefully we're practicing for that worship service in heaven where there is a sense of unity, a sense of awe, because not of who we are, not of an inward looking, but what God is doing through us. So let me just challenge you. As we go through the series on being a living sacrifice, I think being part of being a living sacrifice is one that's submissive to the body of Christ, that is part of the visible and invisible church, that focuses attention and spends time purposefully speaking truth in other people's life and being and helping with the conf, the conforming process to being more like our Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. New Hope Chapel is a vibrant ministry in Arnold, Maryland. We are a Christ-centered church with biblically-based teaching focused on the Jewish roots of the faith and committed to helping each person discover and use their spiritual gifts. If you're in the area, we would love for you to come and visit. You can find out more information about our church at newhopechapel.org. Subscribe to the New Hope Chapel podcast on iTunes, and you'll get the next podcast in your sleep. New Hope Chapel.